advertising is based on one thing, happiness. And you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams reassurance that whatever you're watching is okay. The television show Lost is okay. Hi, welcome to All the Best Podcasts Have Daddy Issues, a podcast about whether or not Lost is a good TV show. I'm your host, Nolan Pavlich. And I'm Emma May. And we are here to talk about Season 2, Episode 3, Orientation. Emma, jumping right into it, first impressions on this episode, what uh, what did you think about it? This might be controversial, but I could not get into this one. Really? I couldn't. Mm-mm. Oh, wow. Usually, like, I'm a big Locke fan, usually love the, the flashbacks for him, mm-hmm. and... Oh, man, I couldn't do it. Every single one reminded me of, like, a sketch comedy show that I watch. Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty... Well, we can talk about it. I also think just in general that this episode has some issues in terms of how it's... Like, I think this this episode realistically is still a Jack episode. That's very true. Yeah. Like, it's a Locke flashback episode, but it's really not... Locke is so passive, he doesn't actually do anything the entire episode. He just, like, is in rooms while other people are doing stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Why didn't they just make it a Jack episode? I mean, they already had the first one be a Jack episode, but yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, it might have even worked better for the flashbacks to be reversed. For If the first episode had been the Locke flashbacks from this episode about him taking a leap of faith... And then this episode had been all of Jack's flashbacks about his stuff with his wife. That honestly might have made more sense. Yeah, it would have. That's an interesting choice that they didn't do it that way. But yeah, I don't know. I like this episode. I think it definitely has a couple issues that we'll talk about. But for the most part, um, I mean, yeah, Locke's backstory is absurd. Like, and that one, I don't think it ever is going to get less absurd, too. That's what I love about it. Is like the first one is this, like, it's weirdly grounded, even though it ends with him being, like, miraculously being cured. Um, <laughs> the future ones, I mean, he's just living in, like, a straight-up soap opera at yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, Terry O'Quinn is good, so it's good. Did you like the episode? I like the island stuff. I want to, like, just throw that out there. I like the stuff on the island, but not just the flashbacks really took me out of it. But Yeah, the flashbacks are something. I, um... <laughs> I, yeah, I think for the most part I like the episode. I think I like it more than last episode. Because even though the flashbacks are uh, kind of goofy, they at least add something to Locke. As opposed to Michael's flashbacks last episode, I don't think added anything to Michael. For sure. Um, so I think I like it a little bit more than last episode. Yeah, I think for the most part. I don't know if I'd call this uh, greatest episode, but I do like it. Mm-hmm. But alright, well let's jump right in. Uh, it uh, aired October 5th, 2005, written by uh, Javier Grigio Marks Watch and Craig Wright, and directed by um, our buddy Jack Bender. Uh, this is the first appearance of Michelle Rodriguez, playing Ana Lucia, as a main cast member. Mm. And it also stars as a uh, guest star, Adewale Akadnoye. Agbaje. Very difficult name to pronounce for me. Uh, I apologize. I'm sure I still probably got it wrong a little bit. Uh, But it introduces him as a guest star who 
Uh, I wrote his name as I was, like, writing the recap and watching the episode. Like, just assuming that we would find out his name in the episode, but we never do by the Mm -hmm. end. Um, But he is the big uh, black guy with the club. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we'll just start right there. The episode starts where Adrift left off on the beach. Um, This guy knocks out Sawyer and Michael with his club and Jin. Um, all three of them are dragged back to a big pit in the jungle and dropped in. Michael asks where Walt is, but they don't answer. Uh, I will say this pit is like, what, like 12 feet deep? Mm-hmm. People, every time someone goes in it, they just get tossed in. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you could very easily have just killed all, <laughs> like everybody that goes in. Including when they, they throw in Anna Lucia later. Like, she very easily could have... I mean, all it takes is just hitting your head on a rock. Yeah. And the way that they hit them with the clubs, too. Like... Yeah. Well, yes. that broke a bone, <laughs> but at this point, multiple fractures. Yeah. The thing is, is, I mean, you know, they got... Everybody on Lost has a little button on the side of their temple, and if you hit it, it does knock them out. <laughs> Um, Saeed's is broken, but everyone else is, uh, uh, functioning at the moment. (laughs) But yeah, the, uh, um, we also get a quick, a third time we get to see this where Jack sarcastically asks Locke if this is his destiny at the hatch. It goes back real quick. Um, and then it goes into the first flashback. I just want to touch on that for a minute, like... Can you imagine the visceral hate you'd have to have for somebody to be that sassy and condescending while they already have a, a, another gun pointed at them? Yeah, a like, gun pointed to their head. Yeah. Yes. Like, and Locke, or uh, Jack really doesn't know at this point that Locke is still kind of like looking for his destiny. So for all he know, like, Locke came down here. And got, like, completely disillusioned and realized his destiny wasn't in here. And, and now Jack's just, like, kicking him while he's down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack does truly despise Locke. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah, we get to our first flashback. Um, and here it comes. Here it comes. The moment that I live for in Lost flashbacks. We have uh-huh. a beautiful wig. A beautiful wig on Terry Quinn. Um one of the first things I noticed. I was just so excited about that. But Yeah. Um, the, I, they achieved the balding effect by cutting the wig in half. Yeah. Um. Right. And then doing like a, a tiny mini comb over. Um, yes. To cover up the, the scissors um, tracks. Uh, it's... It's so fun. I mean, this is still better than the the possum that was on Jack's head. Uh, whatever episode that was. But boy... Um, What's going on with Lost? Like, what did I truly don't understand it at this point? They like the wigs are so somebody bad. in the wig department, as I think yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they're sitting. He's sitting in a circle, uh, and it looks kind of like an Al-Anon meeting. I'm still not 100 percent sure what kind of group therapy that was, or maybe for anger management. I don't know if they explicitly say. Um, yeah, it's for it's for anger management. It is. Okay, got it. I don't know how effective that would be. No. I, feel, I mean, I guess I don't know how effective it would be for anything. So, And I've never been to that kind of like group counseling session, so maybe it is. But something that Locke is going through, though, like one-on-one, I think. Yes. It's, it's yes. be a little bit better. <laughs> for sure. 
Um, but there, it starts out with a young woman who is speaking and is upset that her mom stole $30 out of her purse for alcohol. And Locke starts laughing at this. Uh, and the facilitator calls him out. Um, he says that $30 isn't worth getting angry about, which is insensitive and not really the point of why this woman is confessing anything. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. She's it... maybe obsessed, upset that her trust was broken yet again by her mother. Maybe not as upset over $30. Exactly. Like, he's kind of missing the point here. But it is yeah. exactly the type of comment and dismissive behavior that I would expect from somebody who wanted to invite a phone sex operator to run away to Australia. <laughs> so it's kind of adding up for me. That's this a great is point. Really that is something that we need character. to keep in the back of our minds every time Locke is on screen, is that he did get turned down by a phone sex operator right. who had the same name as his uh, assumedly ex-girlfriend. Exactly. Um, so he begins to scold the group and chastise them for you know, having what he deems as trivial problems. Um, mm -hmm. And then he really gets up on his soapbox and it, it, we're starting to see the aftermath of Locke's experience with the kidney transplant and the psychological ramifications of what he went through with, with his daddy, his daddy issues. Um, mm -hmm. So he explains to the group the story within like 10 seconds. I think it takes them like 10 seconds to explain the story about how he met his biological mom and met his biological father through that exchange, uh, who took his kidney and then abandoned him right away again. And as he is telling the group, he gets increasingly upset and ends up by yelling at poor Francine, you want your $30 back? Well, I want my damn kidney back. And <laughs> it's very abrasive. <laughs> I actually have some insider knowledge about this scene that I think is kind of fun. Um, oh. Will Forte actually studied uh -huh. this monologue, this 90-second monologue from uh -huh. Terry O'Quinn for his role in the airplane sketch on yeah, yeah. season one of I Think You Should Leave. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really over the top. He he comes like just like just shy of calling them all snowflakes. Yeah, he does. Um, like he he definitely should have. I know it is really funny. It truly just a tiny little twist in like the music and the reactions from everybody in the group, and it is immediately a sketch comedy scene mm. of a guy who just goes way overboard at an anger management meeting. Yeah. So <laughs> I I don't know. Uh. But, I mean, Terry O'Quinn, if it had been anybody else, I don't know, you know, how that scene would have played I out. Really, so he, yes. I really, yes. he's really trying to, to bring it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it did remind me of a Tim and Eric sketch. So, uh, yes. then it cuts to Locke trying to smoke outside, and Katie Seagal approaches him. Um, yes. The actress, which, she is just so great. I knew yeah, I recognized her from something, but... I think she is probably, like, her face as an actress is probably most associated with Married with Children. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't realize until I saw the episode that she is the voice of Leela. Yeah, from Futurama. Yeah, from Futurama. Yeah. yeah. She's great. She's got a really, like, distinct voice. Like, mm -hmm. it's not really an accent. She just, I guess, she just has a mom voice. Yeah. Yeah, she she's good. I I, I actually, I wrote in my notes that I think that the flashback stuff only really works because of her. She's yeah. like extremely grounding and 
Um, I think her and Locke actually have, like, good chemistry. I think so, too. I like them together. Um, yeah. And they really have a moment after the anger management therapy. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely some sexy middle-aged banter back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she does eventually introduce herself as Helen at the end of the flashback. And Locke has mentioned Helen before in season one. So it's all coming together. Yes. <laughs> it's it is funny too. I mean it, it it's good and I I like Katie Segal a lot as well. Um I do think it's good that they got a age appropriate like love interest for him. Yeah. Just based on like how like I think last time we talked about it his mom and dad are like 6 years older than him mm-hmm. in real like the actors and so they I looked it up just cuz I was curious and they are like 2 years apart. Okay. So um yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Um, back at the hatch, Kate, we see a little bit more of the scene again, and actually, maybe this is a good time to talk about it, just before we get into all the stuff with Jack. Something I hate about this is, so now we've seen this scene, right, where, uh, Jack is, uh, confronting Desmond and Locke with, you know, Locke has a gun to his head. We've seen this three times. Yeah. And every time it ends with Jack realizing that he recognizes Desmond. And then for some reason in this episode, that doesn't really come into play. Like, it does eventually. But, like, the the way that the, the scene has gone previously, the next logical step is for Jack to be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And instead, in this episode, it just goes straight to, nope, Jack ignores it, and we continue as, it, as if he had never had that revelation before. Yeah, It's just very weird and, like, deflating to what had come before it. I agree. I do really like that Locke picks up on it and uses it as a jab. Yes. I, I yeah, really I, enjoy that. And we'll talk about it, but I mm-hmm. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think it's it, it it's like weirdly counterproductive to what they were doing previously. Yeah, agree. But yeah, Kate crawls through the vents and she drops into a gun closet, an armory, and she arms up. She grabs... I mean, there's a lot of guns and ammo in there. <laughs> um, she uh, she sneaks out uh, and sneaks up on Desmond. I will say, too, I think maybe if you have vents that are big enough to crawl in, maybe the vents to your gun closet get, like, a security bar on mm-hmm. them. Just like a thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she sneaks up on Desmond uh, and knocks him out uh, by hitting him with her gun. Um, it causes him to shoot the computer... And as he, like, recovers on the floor, he starts saying over and over that they're all going to die. And he explains to Jack that the timer is counting down, but Jack really doesn't care. He's keeping the gun pointed at him, asks him what's going to happen. And then Desmond kind of recognizes him, says, hey, do I know you from somewhere? Uh, and Jack, it shakes Jack enough that he lets Desmond get up and start fiddling with the computer, but it's not working. Our next flashback... Uh, opens to Terry O'Quinn, Locke getting his clothes on after a booty call with Helen, scandalous. Um, mm-hmm. He says that uh, he has to leave. Helen wakes up and he says that he has to leave because he has trouble sleeping and Helen looks very hurt. Um, but he... Yeah, is that the worst excuse of all time? Yes. Oh, that's terrible. I have trouble sleeping in strange beds. Oh, Okay. So the next scene is him sitting in a car outside of his biological father's gated home, watching the security outside of the house, um, just 
oh, this man is down. He is. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, struggling. he is a shattered individual after his kidney thing. Yes. Um, but he has like a little stakeout going, um, and his biological father knocks on the car door and invites himself in. Um, Locke is caught red handed right there. So his dad confronts him and says that he knows that he likes to drive around his neighborhood, knows that he likes to park outside his house. Um, and then we just, the exchange with his father is so awful. I think, like, you know, even worse than Susan, how we all wanted to, like, hate her. Like, this man is just evil to his core. Yeah, he has absolutely no, like, sympathy for Locke at all. None um, whatsoever. Uh, which is kind of funny because, like, he wants to get rid of Locke. If he wanted to get rid of Locke, all he would have to do is, like, apologize or just show some sort of humanity. Right. Because I think the the reason Locke is sitting out here is because it clashes with his worldview so much that this could happen to him. Right. Like, all I think all he would have to do is open up to Locke, like, the tiniest, eensy little bit, and then Locke would not bother him anymore. You're exactly right. Like, he's truly just doing this to be evil and cruel. And yeah, he's just psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, Locke obviously wants a reason for why he abandoned him after, uh, he gave his kidney and his dad says that you needed a father figure and I needed a kidney and ends the conversation by saying, you know, John, don't come back. You're not wanted, which of course makes Locke break down. That scene kind of, that scene kind of got to me. Like it started out feeling a little like. Nathan for you, Nathan Fielder, but towards the end, Terry O'Quinn, like, really brought it home, and it's just so sad to see him break down and hear that from his father. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, the flashbacks are written well enough, I suppose, but I think Terry O'Quinn is really taking it, he's keyed in on, like, the kind of weird brokenness that Locke would have, Mm -hmm. where it doesn't, I mean, it's a problem just because... Terry O'Quinn at this point is 50 in the show, and or uh, in real life, I should say. I don't know how old Locke is supposed to be, but like, you know, it's hard to, he does look, he just looks like an old man in makeup. Um, yeah. You know, not old man, but it's just, he's visibly 50. <laughs> he's not like, a, right. it's not like where you're like watching Avengers and you realize, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is like 63. <laughs> It's yeah. like, like where you're, like he, Terry O'Quinn is from the generation of actors that was allowed to get older, um, and so it it feels a little bit silly watching him like you know put on the wig and and be young, and dye the locked. eyebrows, yeah, yes, <laughs> but I, he does get, I think what the kind of like weird. Uh, stuff going on in Locke's brain would have to make him break down in such a way that he would end up as the Locke on the island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he does do a really good job with these scenes, even though they are definitely, like, over the top and kind of corny. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and also, they could have just let Terry O'Quinn be bald. Like, he was bald ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. How long ago was this supposed to be? Right. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> also, he could just be shaving his head. I think a lot of people, when they go completely bald on the front uh, half of their head, maybe that's when they do start shaving their head. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, she has that line when they're meeting, right, where she, she's like, oh, I, I, yeah, let's go to dinner. I like bald guys. And he goes, oh, I'm not bald. And she says, oh, I can wait. Yeah. 
That's good. Which is funny, but mm-hmm. I mean, why not? He could, he should have just taken the wig off right there and said, <laughs> exactly. okay. Right. <laughs> uh, back at the hatch, Desmond is ransacking it. He's going through everything, um, trying to find uh, basically like repair supplies for the computer. Uh, Kate goes to get Saeed, and she goes out the front door of the hatch, which uh, I guess, I, I mean, I, we don't see the outside of it in this, do we? I know. No, and I wanted to. I was yeah, be- waiting for that. How do they right, miss that? Because how far island? away is this? Know. Like, um, Unless the tunnel that they travel down where Locke took his shoes off, unless that's like much further than we thought, like it's, what, maybe like 200 feet away? Like, did Locke and Boone really not mm-hmm. search a 200-foot grid as they were, like, building a tebu- trebuchet? Um, yeah, I guess not. Apparently not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kate goes to get Saeed. Uh, Jack takes Desmond's little jar of supplies and forces him to... Uh, he basically just says, give me a, a quick summary of your character right now. Um, and Desmond complies. He was on a solo race around the world, crashed... Uh, he woke up on the island, was rescued by Kelvin. Kelvin shows him the hatch and enters in the code, says that he's saving the world, and now Kelvin is dead and Desmond has been on his own since. Um, Jack is immediately skeptical and hostile about this. Like, Jack is really, like, dialed up to 11 this episode. He is extremely amped yeah, up. Yeah, he is. He really wants you to know that he doesn't believe in the button. Um... Which is just mm-hmm. so funny. Uh, but yeah, they. Uh, uh, it's never really said what the button does. It just says that it's saving the world in some way. Um, uh, Desmond says, well, don't take my word for it. Uh, watch the film. And there's a film behind uh, The Turn of the Screw in, uh, in the bookcase. Uh, the Turn of the Screw is an old book. I think... I think it has some relevance, but I think it will maybe even have more relevance later on. So maybe we will, maybe this is not a great episode to talk about it. But like thematically, um, it's got some interesting stuff. And I also think, I think this is at the point where the writers know that people that watch Lost are looking for every little like reference or mention of something because they want to find a clue and so they're dropping this kind of stuff, like the turn of the screw. Or I, I think anytime like a book or TV show or movie or something is mentioned, I think they're doing it purposely to either to provide some sort of like thematic clarification or maybe obfuscation as well. Um, but yeah, they find the, the film. It's like a, an old like film canister uh, with a real style projector. Uh, stuff rules. Um I, uh, have you ever used that kind of projector before? Yeah. When I was a kid, we had, like, moved up to the, you know, videotape cameras with the, the VCRs. Um, so that's what all the home movies were shot Mm -hmm. on. But I love those, I love the look of those, where you can see the scratch in the, in the film. Yeah, same here. I just always think that's such a neat effect. We had, like... Oh, okay. We had slides. Which is sure. like the still version, I guess, of those big projectors. But yeah, I, I think that yeah. picture quality is really interesting. Um, Hurley and Saeed are on the beach talking about how 
wow, that was one crazy night. I guess they're just there to add continuity and say, hey, it's been three episodes, but it's only been like uh, like six hours or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And the audacity of Hurley to say, yeah, oh, it's yeah. normal now. <laughs> yeah. <after. laughs> it's been. Yeah, Claire is still not 100% sure that she actually got her baby back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he uh, he talks about how great it is that things are going to be normal. And, of course, right at that moment, Kate shows up. Um, Sawyer back in the pit. I guess I just... We don't really know where they are. They're just in a different part of the island. Um, he tries to get more information out of Jin, but they don't really get much. Uh, Jin has not seen Walt, and he was blindfolded, so he doesn't know how many of them are are out there. Um, Michael and Jin push Sawyer up so that he can escape, but uh, they are caught in the act, um, and uh, somebody new is thrown in. Uh, we, as an audience, recognize her as Anna Lucia, who had talked to Jack in the uh, finale of season one. Um... But nobody here knows her. Uh, Michael is shocked that it's a girl. Um, he, like, holds up her hair and goes, guys, it's a girl. Very weird reaction. I don't know why he would be surprised by that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jack and Locke set up the projector. Um, and they kind of argue more about, like, yeah, how can you believe that pressing that button saves the world? And Locke really doesn't answer. He just says, hey, are you upset because Desmond recognized you? <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, it eats away at Jack instantly. It's pretty. It's a pretty good dig. <laughs> um, they watch a film, which is presented by uh, Dr. Marvin Candle. Uh, incredible name. Uh, like, 10 out of 10, no notes. Uh, he is a scientist with one arm. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that, that he only has one arm? Yeah, it's like one of them is like fake in a way that is just kind of um, obvious if you're looking at it. So I guess one of those things where I'm like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't really add to the mystery at all. Like he could have just been born with one arm. Like, I don't know. (laughs) It does. It's not. But it also does kind of make it a little bit more uh, ominous, I suppose. Um, This is our second character then. Who's the first one? What are the odds of that? Uh, the Australian. Oh, true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Ray the farmer. Wow. Maybe it's him. Mysteries? Maybe he becomes white and Australian, uh, since it's from the 80s and to the present. Uh, that's possible. (laughs) Uh, the film, it, you know, it welcomes the viewers, uh, to the Swan Station is what they're in. It's... Uh, facility three and it says that uh it's the orientation film is three out of six so presumably there's more of these stations on the island is what that's hinting at it shows the logo for dharma with the swan logo on it uh it it talks about how it's part of the dharma initiative which is founded by the hanso foundation uh which is like a german psychology research group i mean this is purely like fodder for that it's so dense um all the stuff that it goes over it's really just meant Mm. to have people pick it apart you know after the episode is aired um but it ends by talking about an incident that happened on the island and because of that incident now whoever the film is for is they have to enter a code into the computer every 108 minutes 
Um, and they're supposed to get a new uh, replacement team after 540 days. Uh, there's clearly pieces missing from the film, so that's something to mm. keep on the lookout for. And uh, Locke, as soon as it finishes, says, we're going to need to watch that again. A, uh, a clip which I know for a fact made it into a lot of lost commercials. I bet. Um, it's a perfect soundbite. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the next flashback, uh, Helen and Locke are out at a nice dinner, and uh, Helen gives him a six-month anniversary gift. Locke seems like upset and disappointed that he forgot about it and didn't bring something, but I would never share that. <laughs> I've never a given six a month? Si- no, a six-month anniversary you... gift. I've never done that. Really? Yeah. Every relationship I've been in, I do one week, two weeks, three weeks, one month, two month, two and a half months, three months. Like, I just, you know, you got to get gifts all you the do. time. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing nice. better than giving a gift to somebody and them having nothing to give back to you. It really helps the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Them being a little bit weirded out about the fact that you're even giving a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the mood is set here. So, uh-huh. um, but it does end up being, I guess, kind of a, a sweet gift. She is giving him a key to her place, but she does yeah. have a condition that he has to spend the night and stay over. So apparently he's still leaving to go to his dad's for the yeah, last Yeah, I guess he does months. that a lot. Yeah. He must do That's that such a funny time. thing. I I don't get it, but he plays yeah. dumb, um, and it turns out that Helen followed him to one of his um, expeditions to his dad's home. Um, she goes on to say that Locke helped her move on from her own anger issues and asked him to promise her that he'll stop going. Uh, if And he says yes and accepts the gift. Um, one thing that I just, I guess, would say about that is if you are dating somebody for six months and they won't spend the night with you after you sleep with them <laughs> and you follow them to another home where this person is just waiting outside in their car, yes, I would not give them a key to my home. Are you kidding? No, that person is a serial killer. Yeah. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I guess maybe she can empathize with them a little bit because of the anger management. Like, they're clearly both... Slightly broken individuals. Uh, but yeah, so back at the the hatch, Jack just immediately rejects the film. Locke starts to reel it up so that they can watch again, and Jack just doesn't even care. I gotta say, I don't know how you could not care. Like, oh my god. It, He's just like willfully being ignorant. Yeah. Um, and has been about everything with the hatch. Yeah. Because if you don't, like, okay, you don't think that the hatch can save the world. Uh, fair. It probably can't. Like, it's, I'm sure that it's that's not what pushing the button does. Uh, that's It's not interesting to you that this whole thing is here? Like, you've been stuck out on a beach for 40 days, and you're not even the least mm-hmm. bit interested to watch the only film that you've seen in over a month? Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> the back with the raft people, Anna Lucia wakes up. She explains how she survived uh, from the tail section. Uh, she kind of just says, yeah, I've just been out there looking for food for 40 days, and then they captured me yesterday. Um, a pretty thin story that they don't question at all. No, not at all. They don't even, like, 
they just go, oh, okay, cool. Well, we're all from the same flight. Like, it makes sense. She's the one that says Flight 815. So it would make sense that they would believe her, I suppose. Sawyer shows her his gun and says next time uh, next time Shaft comes to uh, open up the cage, he's going to get a... What is, does he say a fine howdy-doody? I mean, I props to Sawyer. He was, yeah. He's racist and corny in the same sentence. So you, <laughs> nobody else can do it like him, frankly. <laughs> Jack questions Desmond about the Dharma Initiative. Um, doesn't seem like Desmond knows too much. He obviously wasn't really a part of it. He just crashed on the island. Um, the, the, the question that he doesn't answer at all is, how do you get your food? which is, I'm sure, a question people have been agonizing over online at this point. And he asks, hey, have you considered that maybe uh, the button is fake and they just want you to push it to see if you're actually going to push it every 108 minutes and it's a big uh, social experiment? And uh, Desmond says, yes, of course. I think about it every single day. Which, like, yeah, Jack, what are you talking about? That's, like, the first thing that comes, like, that's the first thing you would think of. He's by himself and has been by himself. Yeah. Like, he has nothing but time to think about why he's doing what he's doing. Yes. He, he's had a lot more time than you to think about this button, Jack. Mm-hmm. This was your thought uh, <laughs> ten minutes in. But yeah, Desmond says, I don't know if it's real or not. I just know that there's definitely something electromagnetic when I walk past that wall. And that's what the film was talking about. So... Uh, but his uh, his fix with the computer doesn't work. It, it blows a fuse. Um, so he packs up a bunch of stuff in a backpack, some uh, some medicine and some uh, some food. Uh, Jack follows him, uh, and he leaves John uh, alone in the hatch. Uh, gets frustrated and kind of just cries out, asking what he's supposed to do now. So he's clearly having like a uh, a crisis of faith here. Mm-hmm. I think another little nugget from that scene of Desmond filling up that his bag before he takes off is that he goes to his room and he's been reading The Third Policeman, which is just another book that has some kind of like existential kooky themes in it that I think tie into Lost as well. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't even catch that. I Yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, like I said, I think that they put those in just to get people thinking about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, fun. I, I like that. Yeah, I think it's fun too. Um, in the next flashback, um, this is after he's made the promise to Helen that he'll stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it opens up to him in bed and Helen's fast asleep, but he can't. Mm-hmm. sleep um and he goes to wash his face and we see the wig a little tussled i just want to call that out yeah. you know it's not like unmoving <laughs> yeah like jack's possum wig so they're trying <laughs> at least with his i i appreciate that um but he ends up breaking his promise with helen and goes back to his biological father's um, and is waiting outside, drinking coffee, doing his stakeout, his usual routine. And I, <laughs> I love this next part that where Helen is pissed and yeah. drives up and runs into Locke's bumper. I think that's so funny. Yeah. And actually, like, actually, kind of funny that, like, oh yeah, she has anger management. Duh, she would do something crazy like that. Well, it's um, great because she has such a calming voice. That, like, you do have to remember, oh, yeah, she was also in the anger management meeting. 
Kate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yep, she goes over to Locke, takes the keys out of his car, out of the ignition, throws it over the gate, um, and confronts him and tells Locke that he has to choose between her and his father. Um, and Locke has a, a crisis of faith and doesn't know what to do. He wants to kind of hold on to this hurt in him because he wants it to be resolved on his terms, but it never will be. And Helen reminds him of this and basically tells him that he has to take a leap of faith. Um, she's essentially telling him that he keeps going back to his father because it's an emotion that he knows and is used to. Um, and his relationship with Helen is still fairly unknown and that would make him vulnerable. So he does end up leaving with Helen. Hopefully this is it. I, who knows what happens to his car? That car has gone now forever. Okay. They're a one car household from now on, but so this, yes, <laughs> this is a good scene. I like, I really like this scene a lot and I think it's well acted by both of them. That is one of the things that drives me. Like I just, as a kid, I could never really pinpoint why I hated this, but now I just realize it's just general anxiety. But when she threw the keys over the fence, at the entire time I'm having this, they're having this like emotional reunion. It, my head is just going, "How are they going to get those keys? What, are yeah, they going to get like a broom? Exactly. How are they going to get those keys? What are they going to do? do? He he needs those keys back. Does he have to talk to his dad again? How are they get like? It's just like constant. Which when I was a kid, it used to drive me nuts. Whenever like in a TV show. Someone would be like, all right, I got to go to work in 20 minutes. Don't you drag me along on this crazy adventure. And then, of course, they get dragged along because that's how TV shows work. And just in my mind, the whole time, I would just be like, they said they had to go to work. They're going to be late to work yeah. if they don't. like." Just <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that I, it, it did bring the scene down a little bit for me that I was thinking about the entire time. I don't know that that's the, the fault of the writer so much as uh, my brain, though. <laughs> it is a little yeah there's some anxiety there and I hope that the next lock episode we get some resolve I hope that we find out if he got his car keys I believe the next lock flashback episodes begins with him buying a new car okay and I'm pretty sure I don't want to I no spoilers I don't want to and I don't want to you know be wrong about this maybe I'm misremembering I think he gets a monster truck um, that sounds like Locke. I think he drives the Gravedigger for the rest of the show. I, I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Back at back at the hatch, Locke is just straight up like breaking down crying. Um, and Kate, Hurley, and Saeed find him. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to just feel bad for him. Yeah. Uh, he is kind of just pathetic. Like, as much as I like mm -hmm. Locke, he's just... Uh, He's a broken guy, for sure. Kate and Hurley go to look for the breaker box. Uh, Hurley doesn't find it, but finds the pantry full of food. Back at the at the pit, Anna Lucia questions Sawyer about the gun, asking how he got it, and she just keeps... She clearly just doesn't really believe him about the marshal. And when they start to, like, you know, ask her, hey, why are you being so suspicious about this? She punches his open shoulder wound and then... Takes the gun, which honestly, Brutal. yeah, pretty badass. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and uh, then she calls down and a rope gets lowered down and pulls her up. So she is working with the others up there. How did they not see that coming? Yeah, it seems pretty... I mean, yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, I know Sawyer has a bullet in his arm, but come on now. Like, he's a con man. He's an yes. international con man. He should have seen that. That's a great point. Sawyer 100% should have seen that coming. I guess I can understand how... Like, we've already seen Anna Lucia up to this point. So I guess I could see an audience member being surprised by this. But it just feels so obvious the second she goes in the pit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they just threw another... They just randomly threw another person in here? I guess, I guess they could. I don't know. Not just a random person, but a random person from the same flight that you were on. Right, exactly. Who also just has no information to give you and is only getting information from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Desmond is running through the jungle. Uh, he trips and falls, and as he's gathering his stuff back up, uh, Jack pulls up and pulls out a gun on him. Uh, and Desmond, like, doesn't even really notice the gun. He's just like, oh, yeah, you'll want the code, right? It's 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Jack says, you know, nothing is going to happen when the, the hatch blows up. And Desmond says, well, in, you know, 15 minutes, you're either going to be very right or very wrong. Jack asks Desmond why he's running. And Desmond, all of a sudden, that clues Desmond into remember where he knows Jack from. He asks what happened to the girl, his patient that he was worried about. The one that he didn't think he did a miracle for. And Jack won't tell him until eventually he shouts that he married her. I mean, this... Doesn't this feel like this should have been with those flashbacks? Yeah, yeah it Like, does. I, I just don't understand. This is just so obviously a Jack episode still. Why did they do this? I wonder if the Tallahassee job messed if up. If that screwed like, it up? If that screwed it up. I haven't ever seen way. anything about that. But that, I mean, it would make sense. It just feels so... I don't know. Maybe the writers just couldn't stop themselves from writing another Jack episode. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say, I wouldn't hate... I, I wish that Lost could be... Because there is kind of like an element of where they feel like they need to have a quota, right? Like, I'm sure that they feel like they need to have more Jack and Kate and uh, Locke episodes than everybody else. And I'm sure that they feel like they need to also, like come up with a Michael episode, even if they don't even necessarily have something for Michael. And mm-hmm. I wish that they could just do what, like, the story called for, rather than having to to come up with stuff just because they think they need it. But I guess that's, I think that's partially maybe because of it being on network television in the mid-2000s. Right. But yeah, Jack, Jack cries out, I married her. Um, a thing you never want to shout tearfully, but he does it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just so aggressive. Uh, Desmond is basically like, oh, okay, well, uh, good luck with that piece. And says, see you in another life. And takes off uh, into the jungle. And uh, we don't see him again. Back at the hatch, they get the power back on. and But just as they do, the timer starts. And Saeed gets the computer working immediately. Mm-hmm. Of course he does. Yeah, that's good. It worked out. He starts to enter the code. Uh, and Locke gives him the wrong code. Uh, he says it's uh, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 32. Uh, Hurley is arguing while Locke is entering this code, but uh, as he sees that Locke is entering the wrong number, he decides to just let it go. Uh, and as Locke is about to push execute, Jack comes in and says, no, it's 42. Uh, he tells uh, He tells him the right number. And then Locke, as Jack is walking away, says that Jack has to be the one to push the button. And they argue about faith as a concept, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, why do you find it so hard to believe Jack? Jack says, why do you find it so easy? And then Terry O'Quinn shouts, 
It's never been easy. These lines don't necessarily make sense, like, but Terry O'Quinn uh, kills it, so mm-hmm. he's good. Uh, he, he's good at it. Um, Jack ends up pushing the button as it hits zero, and Locke uh, says that he'll take the first shift uh, for the button. And that's end of episode there. So that gives us... Uh, I will say this, at this point now, feels like the season has started. Yeah. This feels like these first three were like the season premiere. Mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that we are past the moment where Locke has a gun to his head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now nice. we don't have to keep replaying <laughs> that over and over. It only took three episodes. Yeah, that's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's orientation. So uh, Kim's in at number thirty-six. Oh, that's on, high up there. Uh, yeah, it's really high. It's, I think maybe I don't know. I, I think it's a good episode. I think that maybe people rate it higher because it it, it gives you a lot of info about the island, mm-hmm. like in terms of the Dharma Initiative and the Hanzo Foundation and all that. I don't know if it. I don't think it deserves thirty-six. I think there's other episodes. I mean. We've talked about how there's some real injustices on this list anyways, but yeah, um, uh, I think there's plenty of other episodes that we've watched so far that have been better than it, that have been rated much lower. Mm-hmm. But still a good episode overall. And uh, next week we're coming in with uh, Everyone, or Everybody Hates Hugo, a Hurley episode. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, was fu- His last episode was fun. I, th- I think... Over the course of the show, I don't think that there's a bad Hurley episode. Oh, good. Like, I think they're all good. Which is crazy because, like, his character has so little... It's not that it has little depth, he just doesn't... He's surface level. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you just... He's not really hiding stuff. And whenever he is hiding stuff, he's so obvious about it. So it's just so... It, it's interesting that he's so compelling. But they're usually pretty good, so... But yeah, that'll be next. Uh, that'll be next week. Let's see. Yeah, this was a great episode, uh, Emma. I gotta ask, like we do at the end of every single episode, would yeah. you say that you had a uh, a favorite character for this episode? Ooh, hmm. It's tough. I know you got to think about it a little bit. It's hard because here's my issue. Um, Terry yeah. is so good in it, and his mm-hmm. acting is so amazing. But then we also had Vincent in it for like, you know, mm-hmm. a single for point second. one seconds. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Fall. Um, no, I'm gonna have to go with the island. I think the Just island. Because, yeah, we get to see a new side of the island. Sure. Um, yeah, the, the others, we see the backside and... of the island. Yeah. yeah, and that's pretty incredible. Yeah. See, that's interesting. I don't think that mine would be the island. I think mine is Locks red Volkswagen Beetle. I think that's my favorite character <laughs> yeah. in this episode. That's a good one, too. I think that this, it frankly wouldn't have worked without it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Give us a, a review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. Five stars would be lovely. Um, you can email us, allthebestpodcasts at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at allthebestpods on Twitter. You can park outside of our houses with a cup of coffee just waiting for us to give you the time of day which we never will all right we won't do it also in minnesota you can't physically do that right now oh yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> our roads are covered in three in, uh, feet of snow. So if you do it to Emma, you do have to, you know, live with the chance that you might end up like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But all right. Well, uh, until next week, get lost. Get lost. <laughs>